You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Moon Knight, Episode 4, The Tomb. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, Brad, we're back here again, and we're at episode four, which I think has some really exciting twists. I think uh, people people seem to be really excited about this episode. It seems to be uh, the favorite so yes. far. So, um, we, we don't have any feedback to go into this week's episode. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get a lot of feedback from you guys uh, for next week on theories and what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, let's go into our brief thoughts. What, what did you think of this episode? Um, this is a great episode. I think it's probably um, my my favorite one, probably, um, mostly because uh, of all the crazy stuff that happens at the end of this episode. It's um, 
definitely uh, has the, the the Benson and Moorhead vibe. The, the two filmmakers who directed episodes two and four. Uh, things get weird. Things get uh, confusing Crazy. and yeah, mysterious. <laughs> um, and before that, it's like uh, has great vibes um, for the the Mummy from 1999, the one starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, which is fantastic as well. So yeah, good good adventure. Um, some pretty basic you know, uh, chase and uh, tomb discovery kind of stuff, but, you know, tied into all the rest of the things that we have going on with Moon Knight, you know, is, is what makes it uh, that much more interesting. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting how the show has kind of evolved. Like, those first two episodes were kind of like, um, I don't know how to explain, maybe like Born or th- like a Born meets like Fight Club, kind of like there's something weird going on here. Yeah, and, and then the Jones. Yeah, the next two episodes, Indiana Jones, Uncharted, uh, The Mummy, you know, is a great uh, touchstone there. Um, and I really love how much of this episode feels like those things, just like the, you know, solving puzzles and going through a tomb and uh, the great moment. There's some great moments of suspense here, like, uh, um, which we'll get to. And of course, I'm sure everybody's going to be talking about the twist at the end of this episode and uh what what that possibly means for the future of moon knight um but okay let's get into it and I, i'm assuming that the first half the fa- first half of this episode we're gonna have a, a lot less to talk about than the second half but uh let's get into it uh so the opening scene we see the figure of conchu uh the statue that he had been put into he's put onto a shelf in a wall that looks like it has at least nine more statues on the wall, which begs the question, Brad. I'm not sure if this is like just me overthinking things, but, you know, are there that many other gods that have been banished to spend the rest of their time as a statue? I mean, Stephen in episode one, I think, mentioned that the Ennead is only like nine Egyptian gods. Yeah, but that's that's the Ennead. Like the the ancient Egyptians them, themselves worshipped like uh, like many gods. Over, yeah, over a thousand different gods and goddesses. So okay, so what you're saying maybe, is that Rome is, even, is yeah, huge. maybe even maybe even over two thousand if I if I remember correctly. But yeah, so there's there's a lot of possibilities there. Fair enough. Um, okay, so Layla is dragging an unconscious Stephen through the sands, and. Uh, there's a truck with a couple mercenaries uh, that begins firing upon them. And she takes them out with a couple of roadside flares showing that you shouldn't just keep a bunch of ammo rolling around in the back of your pickup truck. And <laughs> so also kind uh, of a, kind of a risk on her part too, because like those bullets go flying everywhere and she doesn't exactly hide immediately behind the other truck. That is a very good point. Very good point. Uh, but she's a risk taker. It seems. And uh, yeah. Um, so on the road, Layla asks Stephen to turn into Mark, but Mark isn't willing to give up his body. Or wait, she asks Mark. Wait, no. She asks, yeah. She, <laughs> I'm getting confused here. She asks Stephen to turn into Mark, but Stephen isn't willing to give up his body, is what's going on here. And uh, so they hike it on foot through this narrow canyon to find. Well, well, they've, well they've made a deal. That like that Stephen gets to be in control of the body, and then once Conchu is gone, Mark will disappear, which doesn't necessarily sit very well with Layla. Yeah, yeah, she's like, "You made that deal without me," 
and like, uh, well, he hasn't talked to you for forever is what he says. But anyway, so, so yeah, they're making their way through this narrow canyon by foot uh, to find Arthur's deserted camp. And I just want to say I love the big scale and feel of like this whole sequence in this episode. It just feels so much bigger than uh, I think a lot of the Marvel TV stuff does. Um, so they search for supplies. Mark is a reflection that reminds Stephen that without Conchu, there is no more suit to protect him. And Mark seems to be very upset that Stephen is in love with his wife. It's an interesting love triangle, Brad. It is. Especially since Stephen does have his charms and he doesn't seem quite so uh, careless, even if he is a bit of a, a, a bumbling sort of guy. Yeah. Uh, so Layla grabs some supplies, but doesn't notice the bloody remains and a murder weapon on the sand. Um, I'm guessing that was Arthur's goons or something. Uh, but anyways, Stephen is going in and this is like the adventure that he's always been waiting for his entire life. Uh, maybe, maybe he even watched movies of things like this and, and wished to do this since he was a kid. Uh uh, foreshadowing uh Layla tries to kiss him and in that moment instead of kissing her back he admits that Mark stopped talking to her actually to protect her and uh, she's not happy about this revelation uh, she wants honesty Stephen has that in spades and uh he ends up going in in the kiss and uh Brad it's it, does this count as cheating if, if it's another personality? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so after Layla goes into the temple, Stephen punches himself in the nose. And I'm assuming that's like Mark taking over his arm for a split second. I would think so. Why doesn't Mark do that more often? Like that seems like it would be like a power to use more like it's, he, he seems like really annoyed at Steven and if he could. It probably takes a lot of effort. So it's probably not something yeah. he can like keep up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So Mark is excited to be inside the tomb. Layla t uh, tells him about her father, an archeologist who died searching after lost artifacts. And uh, Steven thinks he'd be proud of his daughter. And uh, inside the tomb, it's a maze of six paths and they discover some bullet casings from Arthur's gang and Layla wonders what they could have been shooting at. Well, I guess we'll find out later. Uh, but without any time to think about it, uh, Stephen realizes that this whole structure resembles the symbol of the Eye of Horus. And through some fun puzzle solving, they figure out the correct path to take. And um, wh what did you think of that? Like, I love the puzzle. Like they really get the puzzle solving right in this episode i feel like sometimes it's like it's not fun watching people solve puzzles in a movie yeah no it was uh, a cool detail my only wish was i wish that there was like some kind of like overhead Setup? shot yeah or yeah. like a way to show you know like what they were in from oh. above to see it match because we're just like left basically just to trust you know what he's saying is accurate without necessarily getting a, a geographical vibe of like how it's laid out around them you know that would have been cool, like a big like crane shot that goes like up a like a overhead showing the entire layout. Yeah, I, and I think I imagine the reason they probably didn't do it is because like the rest of like the 
the cinematography hasn't really done anything like unrealistic like that. Like they haven't really done anything that they couldn't really do with real cameras. And that's something they wouldn't be able to do in an Egyptian, you know, tomb like that. So I imagine that's probably why they didn't do it. Yeah, that's very true. While they've done stylistic things, like they've done like upside down shots and stuff, it's 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 all stuff that you could do going through real like physical space. And here, right. like you see the ceiling. I mean, you actually see like at one point the reflection or whatever of the thing on the ceiling. Um, so they come across a tomb, but it seems like someone has already been there. There's blood stains everywhere, surgical tools and a trail of blood and bones on the floor. And Steven suggests that they find another way out. And uh, Layla becomes trapped as they are interrupted by one of the Heka priests who were entombed there to protect Amit. And uh, he has killed Billy, one of the police duo that uh, who is part of Arthur's gang. We saw them pick up... Um, was it Steven? Or, yeah, I think it was Steven in one of the previous episodes. Uh, and is removing his organs with ancient tools and putting them in jars. What, what do you, why, does, why does this heck of priest want to mummify this, like, random, like, gang member of, of Arthur's? I mean, they're probably just kind of, like, you know, monsters. That's what they do. Ghoulies, yeah, that, that's, that's their thing. <laughs> okay. First to mummify anybody who comes in. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought mummification was something that happened to like like the more well off, like gods and stuff. So it's like But it's also like a terrifying thing to happen to you if it was forced upon you. I mean it's a terrifying thing to happen to you even if it wasn't forced upon you. But... True. <laughs> okay, so this whole sequence is played for like suspense with Layla underneath the table, trying to ma- not make her presence known. And uh, I love this whole sequence. It, it like had a really like tense, uh, suspenseful vibe to it. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this was you know uh, got horror movie vibes here. Um, that you know, really gave me an idea that um, you know Benson and Moorhead could easily do you know a full on uh, horror movie as well because uh, that Hecate Priest is pretty creepy and like the the uh, quiet nature of the scene, how they're creeping around, how like the slightest little. Um, sound you know sets off the heck of priest to find them yeah it was a pretty pretty scary scene yeah i I like how this show does kind of do a bunch of different genres and that's kind of fun uh so the priest spots steven above and Layla throws a jar at him and makes a run for it and steven throws a table of oddities onto him and squishes him and i guess that's the end of him and uh Layla climbs a ledge onto a chasm which seems to have no bottom. So another one of the Hecka priests pulls her into a gap in the rocks. They have a fight, which ends with Layla stabbing him in the eye with her flare and throwing him over the edge. And luckily she's able to hold on. And uh, she finds Arthur staring at her from across the chasm. Uh, you know, can't get her. She can't get him. And he tells her that Mark was the one, was one of the mercenaries that killed her father it recalls some some like very specific details about him to confirm it. So I guess the question here, Brad, is because like when he, he starts bringing this up, she's the one that's like, and Mark was one of them. Did she know all along? Um, I I mean, I wonder if she like suspected that it had something to do with her father at least because 
um in the previous episode uh arthur kind of teases and he's you know about, about telling her the truth and like you know does she know and stuff like that so you know i i don't i'm not sure that she thought that it was this bad but i'm sure <laughs> but she knew that there was some kind of secret being kept from her yeah so meanwhile steven has found a long lost tomb of alexander the great and uh if you don't know who alexander the great is he was a king in ancient greek um Greece uh, and uh, he was he's actually part of the MCU Um, uh, he goes by the name of Alexander of Macedonia or something like that Uh, and uh, most of his Macedonia Macedonia? yeah Macedonia yeah his his Marvel history is very similar to that of the real Alexander the Great but in history on the MCU uh, Alexander the Great is considered one of the greatest military commanders of all time uh, his reign led to him uh, conquering Western Asia and Northeastern Africa, besting the Persian Empire and claiming victory over King Porus. So uh, the, the ruler like managed to establish 20 cities during his time as king, with uh, each bearing his name, including Alexandria, Egypt, and... Um, the other interesting thing about him is, uh, well, his his cause of death is a matter of speculation. So there's some accounts claiming that the king was poisoned. There's others that blamed his downfall on malaria or other kinds of fevers. And uh, the other thing is his his final resting place has been recorded as uh, a king's tomb that... Uh, might have been in Egypt somewhere, but they've never, it's never been found. And a lot of people claim that uh, it was destroyed during the fourth century. So, so this is a, a great um, historical uh, revelation, him finding this tomb. So, um, do you know anything about Alexander the Great? Like, is, is, is there anything more to be said? Well, I don't think so. No? Okay. Uh, so, Stephen opens the tomb finds that statue inside the mummified mouth of the sarcophagus which is a good bit of like fun grossness like i feel like whenever you have like an indiana jones or a mummy you need the scene where like they eat the mummy brains or something you know like that kind of thing and i feel like this fulfills that part and uh layla shows up after he uncovers the statue of amit and asks him if he was responsible for the her father's death and mark confesses that he was there but um denies responsibility say, saying that um his partner got greedy and executed everyone on the dig site shot him uh, as well but he didn't die that night which is actually kind of based on the comics right yes yeah so um i think we mentioned that before that it was bushman who killed the archaeologist and um and Mark, because he wanted to keep all the fortune to himself, and uh, Mark was resurrected by the gods. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if we see that. Do you think we're going to see a flashback of that, or do you think just him saying that he didn't do it is enough? Um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it probably needs to be sh- explained a little bit further of what happened, whether that's from him just talking about it exposition-wise or uh, a flashback. Um. 
yeah, I think that's that's a key part. So I mean, a flashback's not out of the question. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see. That way, we also get the we get to see how Moon Knight became Moon Knight. So I guess you'd see that. Uh, so it turns out that the reason they met was was actually that he had a guilty conscience. And uh, Arthur and his men show up flanking guns. Arthur gives Mark the choice, or I guess he gives. Wait, is he Mark or Stephen at that point? He's Mark, right? Yeah. He gives Mark the choice to take to to hand over the statue, but instead he chooses to take out one of the mercenaries and then kill another three with his axe before Arthur shoots Mark in the chest a couple times, sending him flying into the pool behind him. And uh, Brad, how shocking was this moment when it happened? Because I was like, "Wait, this is this is episode four. This is supposed to be six episodes. Like, if this happened in episode six, I'm like, oh yeah, you could have the like the sad ending where he gets killed or whatever. But like, I was just like in disbelief. What about you? Yeah, it was definitely uh, a surprise for that to happen, and it'll definitely be interesting to see how, how it moves forward from this. Yeah. Okay. So what 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 happens after this? I think is what we're gonna spend the majority of this this podcast on. So Arthur says, "I can't save anyone who won't save themselves." And uh, this is when things get really weird. So Mark's body descends into the water, into a white light, which then we crossfade, and the light becomes a flashlight in an old Indiana Jones inspired movie called Tomb Buster. Which sounds almost like one of those like um, movies like The Asylum. There was this company called The Asylum. Are they still around? They must still be around. I think they are, yeah. Crappy movies. But they would like, you know, Transformers would be coming out and they would produce like Transmorphers. And it would be like a low budget, really crappy version of Transformers. And it kind of sounds like, you know, the Asylum version of like Tomb Raider or Indiana Jones or something like that. Uh, it is presented in four by three aspect ratio, which yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's it was, like a, a cheesy TV show from like the the nineties. Yeah, um, it looks like it was shot on video too. Yeah. Um, anything interesting to say about the actual show before we pull pull out to where we are? Uh, no, I mean I think that like most of the interesting stuff comes from when we pull out of the show. It's just kind of like, um. An int- a trippy little like you know device to disorient the viewer before we get into the the weird stuff. Yeah, I do want to mention that in the show, the main character who's also named Stephen Grant, by the way, which is kind of weird, um, <laughs> is using a compass to find a treasure. So, I don't know, a little bit of similarities to stuff. But um, also, I wanted to mention in the comic books, uh, Stephen as a kid or Mark as a kid had an Indiana Jones poster on his wall. So, um, okay. So we pan out of this TV to show that we apparently are in a mental health facility, like white walls, white tile. And they're watching this movie on VHS on a, on a TV screen and they're playing bingo. And there's a lot going on in this, in the scene, uh, that we should point out. Do, Do you want to start things off, Brad? Yeah, I mean, so like right away when you pull out of the TV, there's a little bandaged rubber duck under the TV that um, is likely a reference to Khonshu since he has a bird-shaped skull head and he has oh. bandages, bandages similar to the Moon Knight suit. 
and the videotapes next to the the rubber duck stacked up have uh hieroglyphics written on the the labels where like the title of the tape would normally that makes sense. Uh, I was going to ask you about the duck because I didn't understand that one. So that is interesting that you noticed that. The funny thing is the first time I watched this, I don't think I noticed 80% of the things in the scene. So I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this podcast probably missed a bunch of the stuff. So the, the one thing that or one of the big things that I didn't notice is um, there's this guy calling Bingo. He's one of the patients there and he's crawly. The living statue that Stephen would have talked to. Yep. I did not notice that the first time I was watching it. There you go. And, um, and it's yeah, not, uh, not, not the only returning familiar face either. Yeah, who else? Uh, so we see Bobby and Billy, who are Arthur Harrow's lackeys. Uh, they're both hospital orderlies, and they deal with uh, the patients and Stephen Grant specifically in this scene. There's also uh, Beck. Who uh, is the- by the way, it's, it's interesting that they're not they're not patients. They're actually workers there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. okay. And it, it, it works with Stephen's perception as it would, or I guess it's Mark in this case, um, as he would see them within the confines of the mental hospital as being like people who would be fighting against him. Yeah. Um, there's also Beck, who is uh, the henchman Layla fought in episode three uh, as another hospital employee. Yeah, Beck was um, the bodyguard of Anton Mogart in that episode and he here he's an orderly who's giving out cupcakes which i swear to god i saw i saw this noted that down and then maybe an hour later i said in our slack channel i was like oh my god cupcakes because in in uh one of the first episodes mark drove a cupcake delivery van yeah in that european (laughs) i didn't realize that yes indeed and then there's um there's also another patient playing with a rubik's cube which is what Steven tried to use to keep himself uh, awake in his bed. Yeah. Did you mention Donna, Steven's boss from the gift shop? Yeah, Donna's there. And uh, uh, interestingly, she's holding a plush scarab beetle. Uh, the scarab beetle obviously being prominent because of the item that Arthur Harrow is after being used as a compass. She's also holding a figurine that appears to be painted orange and has a white hat on. And so I'm not sure if that's a reference to something else. Uh, that we haven't seen yet or uh, something from Marvel comics, but yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. I did notice the stuffed scarab, which is actually like one of the um, stuffed animals from the gift shop from episode one, I think. So, um, and then uh, behind Donna, uh, the clock, which kind of pauses briefly as the camera moves past um, what the, one of the hands is Conchu's staff. And so it's, I'm not, because of the length of the staff, I, it was difficult to tell um, which number it was pointing at as the hour hand. So it was either like 513 or 514 or 1113 or 1114, depending on how the staff operates on the clock. I'm not sure if that has any significance, but. Yeah. What do you, you don't have any theories on what that could mean? I tried to look up to see like if there were any like comic issues tied to that or anything. And there wasn't anything that, that made sense immediately. So we, we have a, an article that someone's working on like digging into these even more. So maybe they'll find something, but yeah, it could just be just the clock itself with conscious staff was the, the detail in question, but they, uh, oftentimes Marvel does have, you know, yeah. if, a, if a clock appears, the numbers usually have some kind of significance. Well, it also wasn't just like a clock in the background. It felt like, the camera kind of panned over to it like it meant something i, I wrote yeah. down like the the times and i was like i can't figure out anything either so yeah 
So maybe uh, one of you out there knows. And then uh, we we see another familiar character, uh, Lagaro, who is Layla's ally, who made her a fake passport in episode three. She's the one drawing. Oh, uh, I didn't notice her. Yeah, she's the one drawing a picture of Kanchu as a that small bird with the the wings spread in the shape of a crescent moon. That's cool. And um, Billy is the you know one of the cops you mentioned before, one of the orderlies. He he puts Mark facing a window, which he likes, which has the, a goldfish in a bowl. Uh, you know, which is a nod to his goldfish. What was his goldfish's name? Gus. Gus. Gus the goldfish. And also Layla is there and she's dressed like a patient and uh, she ch- turned the movie off and she's hanging some photos on a whiteboard, which looks like almost like the postcards that Steven was hanging in his home. And she has a... I thought it was a thimble. You you, you say it's a band aid around yeah, her. Yeah, I think it's like a white a white bandage, and it has a little draw a red drawing of uh, a scarab beetle, which seems to be um, a reference to Scarlet Scarab, which is something that uh, we wrote about in a, an, an article on Slash Film about Layla. Because even though Layla seems like a character that was created just for the show, it seems like there are elements of one or two Marvel Comics characters from Moon Knight stories that she might be representing in the series. And one of them uh, does have ties to this character, Scarlet Scarab. Because her, her father used to call him her his little scarab. Yeah. And obviously has, yeah, there's a bunch of references. So wait, do you think that's going to come into play? I think it could, um, but I also think that it could be just one of those little, you know, cheeky nods to comics just for fans that is just a little bit of a deep cut. Yeah. Um, Layla notices that Mark, uh, with the announcement of I2, has won bingo. And I didn't go through the, like, bingo letters to see if it if those numbers meant anything. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. That was something that was going to take a lot, a lot of time. I didn't get a chance <laughs> yeah. to dig into all of that. But yeah, uh, oh, uh, I do want to know too something something interesting. Um, so there's a stack of books under the goldfish bowl that's holding Gus, uh, and one of them is called Royal Necropolis, and Necropolis has a place in Marvel mythology involving Black Panther, and that's interesting because the book mm. below that says Black Pharaohs. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, and in, in mm. Marvel Comics, uh, Necropolis is the Wakandan city of the dead where Black Panthers go to die. Ah. Uh, well, Layla steals the the bingo win, but promises Mark she'll share it with him this time. Which I, I wonder if this is a reference to his old buddy who took him on that, uh, you know, where, where he ended up getting killed. You end up yeah. killing him for the. I'm I'm guessing that's what it what it's a reference to. Uh, so and Mark then, stares, and, and then she also says, "We won," kind of calling back to Stephen saying, "We won" after he found Ahmet's statue inside uh, Alexander the Great's tomb. Oh yeah, yeah, good call. Um, Mark stares at his reflection in the window, and I think what's interesting here is the voice description track, the audio description track, which uh, is for people with that don't have sight or have hard uh, sight, um, says that, well, it identifies the person, the patient as Mark, and it also identifies the reflection as Mark. So he's also not looking at, he's not looking at Steven there. Right. Uh, and it sounds like he mumbles Steven, but the audio description doesn't say anything. Anyways, uh, so... Uh, 
he falls flat in his face because he's shackled to the wheelchair, just like Steven shackles himself to his bed at night. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good. Um, also hitting the floor is a Moon Knight action figure. And it doesn't look like it's like a action figure you'd buy at the store. It looks like a, like back when I was a kid, I would, I would take like the X-Men action figures and I, they wouldn't have all the action, like all the, uh, the characters. So I'd like use paint and like make them into the characters that they didn't release. And it looks like he has like created his own custom action figure. What do you think? What do you make of the Moon Knight action figure? Yeah, I mean, I think that's clearly meant to just, like, represent this, you know, the hero that he turns into. And it's, like, it's him making up these stories with this action figure that he has. Yeah. Uh, Billy helps him back into the chair. uh, And he stares at the figure on the floor. And um, what do you think the action figure is supposed to represent? Like, that, like, Moon Knight is something just, he created or yeah i think it's like it's like a, you know like a kid playing with action figures and making up their own yeah. stories you know yeah okay so later he's across the table from arthur who's kind of um out of focus at first because i i guess is the insinuation that mark's been given drugs yeah it, it, yeah. it even says as the conversation goes on that he's sedated then they, yeah. they, they've had to do this because of his behavior so he's talking to Mark, saying he understands that he is unable to tell the difference between reality and what is in his head. And um, and also we should mention that this is like, I feel like we've seen this in a lot of like sci-fi TV shows. Like this always happens, like where someone goes to like uh, either has a dream or goes to a different universe where like the reality that they had beled, uh, believed has been like is being challenged. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Well, so this it's, is like a, it's very it's very much like a Wizard of Oz thing too. You know, like Dorothy wakes up and like there's all these things around her that like were part of, you know, what seems to be like a dream that represent what happened when she was in Oz. Yeah. Uh but we do have a whole article on the site uh talking about other, you know, movies and TV shows that do they use that sci fi trope. So that's like a, a famous sci fi trope. Um so uh he he Arthur says that he likes Mark's favorite movie. Uh quote, the plot makes a real meal out of that out of a lunar god. Unquote. Which Arthur tries to insinuate is the reason Mark is obsessed with the movie is because uh, you know, he has this whole thing with lunar gods. And uh Mark notices a painting on the wall, which seems to be that European mountain village from was yeah, it episode where, one? Yeah, where we first encountered uh, Arthur. There's some other things to notice in this room. Did, did you notice any of them? Uh, I mean, there's like Egyptian paraphernalia all around. You know, there's that that prism uh, that's on on the table. Um, he's got a cane that he walks with, which obviously represents you know the um, the stick he uses for for judgment and and whatnot. Did you notice some other stuff? Yeah, he uh, the lamp on the desk is kind of crescent crescent shaped. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he sees in the mirror that Arthur is wearing, like, woven sandals. Um, so I couldn't... I There was a quick shot, like, of him actually walking from behind the the desk. And I couldn't tell if he was wearing, like, the same pants and shoes or not. Or if that was, like, meant to be, like, a flaw in what is presumably a hallucination or dream hmm. that, that Mark is having. Because I, I, I felt like... He was just that those were the clothes he was wearing and but but I'm not sure. 
I did not look out for that, so I don't know. So there's this moment here that a fly lands on him and he stares at it. I don't understand that. Like, what does the fly have to do with anything? Or is it just a fly? I, th- I thought it was just a fly. I don't remember anything significant with a fly happening. Uh, okay. But that does seem to be like the trigger that makes him think he's like, he, like all there's all these things that, you know, happened that were that are like, you know, part of what he experienced. Yeah. At that point, Arthur mentioned Stephen and Mark is surprised that he even knows who Stephen is. And he kind of like uh, in, in the moments fall, he puts together the, you know, the pieces to the puzzle and realizes uh, for whatever reason, he, he comes to the realization that Arthur is the one who shot him. And uh, Mark, like, uh, tries to escape. He breaks a... He, he, he runs to the door. By the way, he runs past these, like, there's these Egyptian egg jar things there, which I'm not sure what they represent or just, like, showing that Arthur kind of has this obsession with uh, Egyptian mythology. But the other thing I wanted to bring up to you, Brad, is that Mark notices this golden statue of a crocodile head mm-hmm. that looks like a circular moon above it. And we know that Amit has a crocodile head. Mm-hmm. What do you think this means? I, I'm assuming that's just like one more detail tying into like the, the prominence of Amit in this, you know, what, what they're trying to make seem like is a story that uh, Mark has created in his head. Yeah. Okay. So Arthur tries to reason with Mark, but he, he breaks the window on the door to escape Billy and Bobby try to restrain him, but are unable to, uh, they chase Mark down this white tiled hallway. Uh, and he turns a corner, notices the oil lamps on the ceiling are swaying back and forth. This is another thing I didn't quite understand. What, what, what do you think is going on here? Is it just trying to illustrate that? Like this is, this reality isn't real. I, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what I felt. Is it felt like kind of an inception kind of thing. But I also yeah. wonder if maybe, like, while this is happening inside Mark's head, that maybe, like, maybe they have picked up his body and they're transporting it. And so, like, that's representative of, like, him being moved, maybe. That might be something we'll learn about after, presumably, we pull out of whatever this is. Yeah. Okay, so he bur- bursts into this room and allows... Billy and Bobby to run by. And in the corner of this, this white tiled room is this Egyptian sarcophagus tomb. Uh, It's moving. It's shaking. Like someone is trapped inside and Mark opens it up and inside is Steven. And we finally actually have Mark and Steven in one room together and they give themselves a hug. And it's actually like this wonderful moment. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Danielle wrote an article about this on the site. That, uh, if you want to check it out, it's worth reading. Um, but, uh, you know, how is this possible? They both don't know, but they remember Arthur shot them, and they know they have to escape. And for the first time, it seems like they're working together to do something. And right when, uh, you know, they're trying to escape, they find this another open room with another sarcophagus which is also shaking violently. And I think this probably goes to your theory from last week. Well, not my theory, but just like the, the, the theory in general that there's uh, a third personality inside Mark and Steven's body that we haven't uh, properly met yet, which is something that comes from, from the comics. And we wrote about that last week after the, one of the personalities that wasn't Steven and Mark seemed to get a little stab crazy against some henchmen. 
Yeah, there's that. And then also in the first episode, he asked that woman out on a date um, to the steak restaurant. And, you know, if, if, if Mark is married, why would he be asking a woman out? Oh, Stephen clearly point, didn't yeah. do it. So I, I, I think uh, that could have been this third personality in the comic books is named Jake. Um, One other thing that I actually noticed uh, today, too, when I was going through all the details in this um, final scene is uh, there seem, may have be a detail about this third personality existing that has been hiding in the closing credits since the beginning of the show. Um, if you go look at the um, the credit for uh, Jeremy Slater that says created for television, uh, it's sand dunes and there are footprints in the sand dunes. And those footprints start off as two different sets of footprints side by side. One looks a little bit smaller than the other ones, presumably representing uh, Mark or Steven and Layla. And then as those as those footprints progress, the bigger footprints split into two separate sets of footprints, uh, seemingly representing both Mark and Steven. And then one of those footprints kind of veers off into the shadow of the other dune next to Layla's footprints, what we assume are Layla's footprints. And then the other set, veers off towards the horizon and as it gets close to the end of the the sand dune horizon splits again into two separate footprints hmm has it been there all along it has Have you watched I, I, yeah, yeah i went i went back to episode one to look at the credits and that has been there all along interesting i like that i like that i, I like when they hide stuff like that in the credits yeah um Okay, well, whatever the case, they don't open the tomb or the sarcophagus or whatever it's called uh, this week. Um, so I guess we're going to have to wait till next week to find out what is inside there. And they do come to another set of doors and they open. And on the, <laughs> the other side, literally, Brad, if you, were, if you were describing this scene to me and I hadn't seen the show, I wouldn't believe you that this existed, like the, <laughs> this, that this is actually happening. So on the other side of the uh, the set of doors is a hippo with an Egyptian headdress walking on its two back legs. Uh, she raises her hand to wave. It says hi in a, a, a tiny very, woman's a very, voice. Yeah, very joyful, just like, hi. <laughs> and Arthur and Stephen scream, and then we cut to black. Uh, so before we get to speculation, we should say that um, in ep episode one, Donna asked Stephen to pass her the hippo plushies. So there's a moment there like um, in the inventory room or in the uh, the warehouse or whatever it is. Yeah. And she asked him to pass the hippo plushies. And uh, Stephen actually corrects her. And he was like, those aren't hippos. That is... Um, uh, Tarot, yeah, I think is how you pronounce it. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing anything wrong here. Uh, but uh, this Egyptian god, ancient Egyptian goddess of is known for, uh, of uh, the goddess of childbirth and fertility, and uh, usually depicted as a bipedal female hippo with feline attributes, female human breasts. The limbs and paws of a lion in the back and tail of a Nile crocodile. Fun. And uh, yeah, fun. <laughs> and uh, you might remember if you watched the show Lost that there was a giant statue of Tarret who uh, that appears in that and just becomes a big part of the mystery of that island. And um, in Egyptian mythology, I think more importantly, this is what I, where I'm leading things. Even though she's the 
the goddess of uh, childbirth and fertility. She also kind of has a role as like the re- rejuvenation of the dead. Okay. And I'm guessing that's going to be her role here is my speculation. Okay. Okay. But uh, what, what do you think? What, do you, what was your reaction to seeing this hippo? Yeah, I mean, it's just so shocking and, and silly and, uh, yeah, very much interested to see how, how this shakes out in the next episode. Okay, let's get into speculation. Uh, the interesting thing is this Egyptian god I don't think has a – she's been in the Marvel comics or I can't, I can't really find much about her in the Marvel comics. So it's it's not like she's been brought in from Moon Knight comics as far as I can tell. So what kind of role do you think – Tarret is going to have in the in the the I can't believe I'm saying this the last two episodes of Moon Knight this, this <laughs> the series is only six episodes long yeah I mean I'm not sure it's there's clearly uh, a lot of manipulation that's happening here because you know uh, no one is going to believe that you know this has all been just inside Mark's head as some kind of mental patient it's obviously maybe it's some kind of uh, defense mechanism maybe it's something. Um, that just happens because of like how their their memories are split or something like that, um, and or how their personalities are split rather. But yeah, I'm not necessarily sure uh, what role that um, Tower will play. But you know, I, I just I'm I'm very intrigued to find out about like how and why this happened, and then like you know, presumably, I mean, I guess you're supposed to assume that that Mark is dead, but you know, he probably isn't since he's in this headspace. But I'm just wondering how how he gets out of it and then like what, how this all resolves itself, especially with only two episodes left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I do know the comics. There's this uh, Jeff Lumiere run of uh, Moon Knight that had this whole arc where Mark was in a, uh, stuck in a mental hospital uh, where uh, other people from his life were there and, um, this kind of based this idea is kind of based on that, but I don't think it's completely based on that because okay, I'll, I'll explain what happens here for those who haven't read the comic. But um, potential spoilers, just in case you want to go in, maybe not having any idea what's happening. Yeah, I will say that I don't think this is going to be the case. Yeah, I, I could I, be wrong. I feel, I, like, I, I, I feel like it'll probably be one of those things where like they they're taking a lot of inspiration from a certain comic run, but they don't like adapt every aspect because there are so many things in Marvel comics that aren't part of the MCU yet. Yeah. So in the comic, Mark is trapped in this hospital and, uh, they, the, what turns out is actually the hospital is run by this doctor named Dr. Emmett, which actually the God, uh, Amit, uh, but the, the name is Dr. Emmett. And, uh, Billy and Bobby are actually in there and Billy and Bobby are actually her like Egyptian jackals. Um, but you know, they, they don't, he doesn't know that at first. And um, they try to convince Mark that he's been in there since his childhood and that his life as Moon Knight was just a creation of his unstable mind. And uh, he starts having these visions of Kanchu, which get him to, which make makes him remember the truth. And then he fights his way out uh, wearing a pillowcase as his mask, <laughs> he fights his way out, um, and the whole thing turns out it was an illusion located in the other void, outside of time and space, 
See, see, this is where it gets into things that I don't think is going to be stuff that this series is going to tackle, but I could be wrong. Uh, so he gets out of the other void and he ends up jumping through these series of different realities. Like one, he's like uh, a sci-fi astronaut, I guess kind of like um, you see in Lightyear. <laughs> like, like that yeah. um, and another one he's a tv show producer and the show that he's producing is called moon Knight. and <laughs> there's a bunch of these different realities and he has to like in, at the end of this he jumps through them and he he has to uh come to the uh, like he finds out that what is happening is conchu was responsible for everything and uh, he was trying to fracture mark's mind and take over his body for good and uh, that's another reason why I don't think this is going to happen because right now Kanchu is uh, imprisoned in like a, a statue, right? So I don't know. I don't, yeah. So I don't think any of that is going to happen, Brad. And I also don't think we're at the over, at the overvoid. What, what do you think is happening? No, I think that this is definitely going to be something that has to be like a psychological thing for Mark. Um, but I, I wouldn't rule out the idea of Kanchu potentially somehow being responsible for for this in some capacity maybe yeah i just don't know i don't know where you go from here i i feel like the, this whole time every episode of this podcast we've been saying like there's not much to speculate here and now you know wait till episode four there's gonna be things to speculate but now and, it's hard to speculate <laughs> yes i don't know what's going on brad i don't know where how you how you wrap this up but I guess we'll find out next week. Do you, do you have any last thoughts in the speculation section? No, my 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 place right now is just one of sheer curiosity and just excitement to see where <laughs> the, where this goes next week. Because now we don't have any episodes that we've seen in advance, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm totally in. I'm totally down for the next two episodes. They can't come soon enough. And uh, yeah, you get, uh, we have a bunch of articles on Slash Film talking about some of these characters, like uh, the Egyptian gods that I talked about, that hippo character, uh, the, the god that it's based on. Um, we have a review from Vanessa. So I'll put the links to all that in the show notes. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and speculation to peter at slashfilm.com and we might read it in a future episode just to warn you uh you know next week when we're reading emails they'll already have been a follow-up episode so uh we're only going to read stuff that doesn't like get answered in that episode if that makes sense uh but yeah uh please head on over to apple podcasts tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Right now, all stock outlets with USB ports are on sale. Ditch the need for bulky USB adapters. Upgrade your home with features like ultra-fast charging, allowing you to charge your smart devices up to 40% faster than standard USB outlets. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all the great deals happening this week. Save big money.